This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Prime Spark, the podcast that brings you conversations that inspire, celebrate, and empower women over 55. The second women's revolution is here, and it is time for us to fuel a spark that will ignite your way forward, illuminate your path, and reflect your gifts in the world. Now, here is your host for Prime Spark, Sarah Hart. Hi, and welcome to Prime Spark. I'm Sarah Hart, and I'm so happy you're here. Prime Spark is designed for women over 55 or close, with a goal to help us all live our happiest, most fulfilling, and productive lives now and in the future. The mission of Prime Spark is to change the way our society sees and treats older women. That's a big mission, which only means we all need to be involved and we need to get started now. And today I have the great pleasure of speaking with Chip Conley, a man whose work I greatly admire. Chip joined the tiny tech startup Airbnb nearly a decade ago after a successful career as a boutique hotel company founder and CEO. He was twice the age of the average Airbnb employee, which earned him the title Airbnb's modern elder, who was as curious as he was wise. As the internal mentor to the young Airbnb CEO, Brian Chesky, Chip got to see the value of intergenerational collaboration in a company that has now grown to be the most valuable hospitality company in the world. Chip's best-selling book, Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder, is a testament to rethinking the value of having five generations in the workplace and why more companies are doing their best to encourage their older workers to stay in the workplace longer. CHIP's Modern Elder Academy has more than 2,000 alums who've come to the Mexican beachfront and MEA will be opening two campuses in Santa Fe, New Mexico soon. Welcome, Chip. I'm so happy you're here today. Well, Sarah, it, it's an honor to be with you, and I love the topic of your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I do, too. And me, too. So just to getting started, let me ask you, do you experience getting older? If so, what is your experience? And if not, why do you think it is that you don't? Well, I, I definitely experience getting older in a variety of ways, usually in my body. Um, more than anything, yeah, there are things I can't do today at age 61, almost 62 that I could do 10 years ago. Um, so I do experience that, you know, but I think so many of us, especially in the United States, are so fixated on the physical playing field of our body or our beauty or our brawn. And they don't, we don't, we sort of neglect the playing field of our emotions and our spiritual life and our relational life. And I do think in all those other ways, I feel like I'm getting older as well, but older and better. Uh, so while my body may be getting older and worse, 
my heart, my soul, and my relational connections are getting better with age. And, uh, and so I don't mind the aging process when it comes to those areas. You know, it's, it's interesting. I have at this point interviewed way over a hundred women, some men, but mostly women. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And their answer is exactly the same that um, sure. I mean, I feel in my body, I'm a bit, you know, slower. Sometimes I have wake up in the morning with a few more aches and pains. But other than that, I feel better. I feel more of who I was meant to be. I feel more me. And yeah. so um, I think it's remarkable. And it's time society sees us that way, sees us who we are. I love the quote. Uh, Just when I got comfortable in my own skin, it started to sag. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I think there's some truth in that. And I think it's nice to have a sense of humor about it as well. I do, too. I think I mean, there are some things that are really serious, but not very many things to me are solemn and and Mm. certainly not getting older because Mm -hmm. I see it as a gift that not a lot of people in the world have the privilege of having happened. And anyway, as I tell people, the alternative is dying. You ready? No. <laughs> not not me. No. Not me. So what are some of the qualities that go into making a modern elder? When you say modern elder, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? Well, I you know what the founders of Airbnb meant when they described me that way was to say I was as curious as I was wise, as you said in my intro. And I, when they first called me the modern elder, I didn't like it. I felt like they were saying you're modern elderly. But there's a big difference between being an elder and elderly. Elderly might be the last three to four or five years of your life. It's usually at a time where you're, people are needing to care for you a little bit more. But to be an elder just is a relative term. It means that you're older than the people around you and potentially, but not always, you know, wiser. And what I think, so I think curiosity and wisdom are two of the qualities of a modern elder. But I think it's a lot about the alchemy of things. It's gravitas and levity. So levity, we were just talking about humor, but gravitas means, you know, when something is very weighty and important and you really know how to emphasize that extrovert and introvert. You know, I think as we get older, we know how to weave those two together. And many of us feel both of those qualities of, you know, what it means to be in community with other people. Um, so I actually think one of the greatest qualities of aging, uh, if, if we're getting it right, and maybe becoming a modern elder is to learn how to be the alchemist of the polarities of your life. To know how do you mix the curiosity and the wisdom in just the right alchemy for what the moment deserves and needs. And I don't think we're so good at that when we're young. I think we tend to work on the polarities. We're sort of like, you know, and we might actually be both two, two things, dark and light, but when we're in our darkness, we're deeply in our darkness. And when we're in our lightness, we're deeply in our, we're, you know, very shining in our lightness. But what I think is, is the thing we get to do over the course of a lifetime is learn how to be the mixologist of our emotions. And the mixologist, not the mix, not, not the mixed, you know, that we also have a term of, you know, I have mixed feelings about that. And that often means we're confused. But actually, an alchemist is not confused. An alchemist knows just how to mix the emotions for what the moment needs. And the moment includes ourselves. For sure. Yeah. So that's, that is so clear. And so um, 
important. Why do you think our society has such trouble with elderhood or eldership or being an elder? What is going on with us? Um, you know, it has a lot to do with the fact that I'm going to say I'm going to focus on American culture because American culture has an enormous influence throughout the world. You know, so if you're listening to this anywhere else in the world, you know what I'm talking about. We are a culture of beauty and brawn. And, you know, men need to have brawn. Women need to have beauty. Um, and, and that, you know, it, it varies. There are a lot of women who have brawn and men who have beauty as well. But the bottom line is we're a culture that is very surface level. And therefore, we get a bit fixated with how we look. Um, I actually think social media has accelerated this further uh, because, you know, <laughs> people, people can photoshop their image of how they look you know you may not go out and have cosmetic surgery but you certainly can have it on facebook um <laughs> based upon how you modify your image and um so i would just say that one of the challenges we have with, with a culture that is so fixated on, on on visual image and our looks is it it's a, it's a culture that therefore does not value the deeper um, virtues that we build over the course of a lifetime. Um, plus, we are, uh, you know, we're a, a culture that gets very, very uh, um, distracted by the shiny object of the moment. Um, and we live in a culture now where di the digital world sort of predominates. And therefore, you know, we better be a digital native. And Sarah, sorry to say you and I are not digital natives in the sense that we didn't grow up in the digital world that millennials and Gen Z have grown up in. And therefore, there's a great growing tendency to say, oh, get the younger person. In the past, it was to get the younger person because they were cheaper. Now it's actually get the younger person because they're smarter about digital. And um, what that's missing is that just because you actually understand technology better doesn't mean you understand how to use it in a way that actually is going to have the greatest benefit. Uh, and so um, I think those are some of the reasons that we have an obsessive culture when it comes to youth. In, in the introduction that I read for you, Chip, you say that um, companies are doing their best to encourage the older workers to stay in the workplace longer. That actually is not what I hear from women I interview and talk with. How do you, Just explain how you see that, because I'm really curious about that. Well, this is a relatively new phenomenon, like over the last two to three years. Whenever we're, I mean, here, here's here's the the bottom line, and it's sort of sad. But the bottom line is when the unemployment rate dives very low, and therefore employers are very uh, nervous about the fact they do not have enough potential prospects to fill positions, they start looking at the marginalized. <laughs> And I, what I mean by that is they start looking at people that they might have written off in, in normal economic times. So in the last couple of years, the unemployment rate has really plummeted uh, for all kinds of reasons. It, you know, frankly, right after the pandemic, it went up a lot, but it's it's been going down. And therefore, a lot of employers are starting to reconsider their recruiting policies. Generally, recruiting policies have huge, usually been focused very much on the young hiring them out of college or high school or graduate school, or maybe after their first or second job, you, you, you'd snatch them up. Then we've rarely looked at older workers as an opportunity to grow, you know, your employment base or your, your, who are, who's on your team. 
And I think what's happening now is there are more and more companies that are actually looking at rehiring people who've retired, um, looking at people who are the modern elders in their workplace. Um, and there's even marketplaces, new websites being created that are meant to be sort of like modern elder marketplaces where companies looking for experienced workers, especially experienced workers who want to be part-time uh, as opposed to full-time. So most companies have a, a strong preference, especially in the U.S., to just hire people full-time because if you hire somebody part-time and you're giving them full uh, health benefits and they're only working three days a week, it's like, oh, well, that's that's sort of a waste. I was like, well, it's not a waste. It's just like, okay, unfortunately, our system in the U.S. is based that way. Um, but I think what's ha happening is that there's more and more employers who are seeing the value of older workers, especially around collaboration. One of the key things that Google found in their, their project Aristotle work, where they studied teams, their most effective teams in the world, was the fact that um, effective team, the number one variable of effective teams is psychological safety. And older women provide more psychological safety than any other demographic on a team. That is clear for all, from all kinds of social science research. So if you know that the number one ingredient of a successful team is psychological safety. And if you know that the number one way to have psychological safety on a team is to have older women on a team, duh, let's like wake up HR departments of the world and realize we need more older women in the workplace. Would you just get out there and keep saying that over and 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 over? I do. I, I give keynote speeches at HR conferences a lot, and I do say it over and over. And I'm often saying it at an HR conference to a bunch of older women who are nodding and nodding. And then somehow, somehow something goes wrong from the point where they say, yes, that's right. And then they go back to the workplace and something inhibits them from actually living up to that. So I, you know, I, I, I actually have some hope in this, on this one though. I'm going to try to go with you on that chip because I'm not sure about it, but I'm, I'm going to go with you. So when you were at Airbnb, I understand what they got from you. What were the main things you learned during your time there? Well, the, I had over 100 mentees over seven and a half years there. And in um, what I learned, I would say that 80% of them were mutual mentorship relationships where I learned as much from them as they learned from me. What did I learn from them? I learned, I learned uh, how to use my iPhone even better. You know, I realized I was only using three percent of the capabilities of my iPhone. There are all kinds of things I learned. I learned how to build a website with them. I learned um, how I learned millennial travel habits and lifestyle habits. You know, which are really different than boomer lifestyle habits. You know, it, millennials had a very different perspective on the world than I did when I was their age. Um, I learned, you know, it, it, in Silicon Valley, I never worked in a company that had venture capital. I learned what venture capital was like. Um, I learned a lot about gender, um, the fluidity of genders that is very true in younger people. So I would just say um, <clears throat> I thought of myself as Margaret Mead amongst the millennials. <laughs> I love that. And as Margaret Mead amongst the millennials, my purpose was to really have that sort of cultural anthropologist lens so that instead of judging, being curious, how could I be curious and learn? And, I, and so in some ways, as, one, as Brian Chesky told me, 
the trade alliance he and I had was I gave him EQ and emotional intelligence, and he gave me DQ, digital intelligence. But that is that is just one piece of the puzzle. That is fascinating. I have wondered if we would do better to do away with our generational nomenclature and to see the whole thing on a continuum um, and so that we're just all operating somewhere along a continuum. And that's probably fanciful, mm -hmm. but I do think sometimes we oh, get into yeah. real problems with don't, 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 don't. Yeah. Now let's talk about that for a second. So I, I think, you know, stages of life, stages of life to me are more important than ages in life or generations. And what does that mean? It means someone could be in a life stage that is, you know, at 32, that's comparable to 52 based upon their life circumstances. Um, you know, so I don't, I think the generations, the fact that you are five days off from the cutoff from your, from the generation right before you, like, of course, you're going to be more like that generation than you are the people 16 years younger than you who are part of your generation. So uh, generations are a, a social construct. Um, there's some relevance to them, but I don't think they're nearly as important as what stage of life are you in? And I, that's why I've been fascinated by Eric Erickson's, the developmental, psych, developmental psychologist who's work on the eight stages of life. And there's a bunch of different stage of life work out there. And I, and I think it's fascinating because I think what I've learned here at MEA, so Modern Elder Academy uh, here in Baja and with soon to be in Santa Fe, we've had people as young as 28 and as old as 88 come to MEA. Now you, you might ask the question like, wait a minute, why would a 28-year-old come to MEA? Well, 15% of our people coming are millennials. And many of them are coming because they, in, in, the, in, in the industry that they're in, they feel like an elder. If you're a software engineer at 35, you might feel like a, an elder in Silicon Valley. Or if you're a, uh, an advertising exec, um, you might feel old at 40 or fashion model at 32 or profession, you know, professional sports athlete. So, but it's also that I think there's a growing desire for people to realize that we're awash in, in knowledge, but what we're desperately in need of is wisdom. And we are the world's first midlife wisdom school. And so we're dedicated to that. And so people can be wanting to tap into their and cultivate their own wisdom at any age. Do the people at 32, 35, 38, who are feeling like almost like elders in their um, workplace because of the strange mm -hmm. dynamics of that, mm -hmm. do they experience themselves in a life stage of transition the same, same way somebody at, say, 55 or 60 does? Yeah, I think they do. And, and we, one of the things we, we study here and then we teach is um, – how do you navigate midlife transitions? But first of all, midlife as a life stage, uh, sociologists have moved it from instead of 45 to 65, it's now considered 35 to 75, which is a really long time. Um, so yeah, here's a couple of different examples. Like there are people who are having children in their late 40s and early 50s, uh, um, you know, whether it's adoption or it's, you know, having a... a you know, one of one of them's childbearing and younger. Uh, so some of the things that we used to think of is like, oh, that happens in your 20s. You know, and now it happens in your 40s or sometimes your 50s or even 60s. So these stages of life are very much a function of what are you going through 
at this time in your personal life, in your professional life, in your spiritual life? Uh, you know, uh, Carl Jung and, Rich, and famous uh, Christian mystic Richard Rohr have both said that the operating system for the first half of your life is your, your ego, and the second half of your adult life, it's your soul. But for some people, they have that sort of shift at 35, not at 55. And the idea that somehow something inside of them is stirring and it's, it's telling them that the thing that they're doing is sapping their soul and they, have, they need to do something different is the message they get in their head at 35, not at 55. And, and so I would just say, your mileage may vary. <laughs> what we do know for sure is the U-curve of happiness is pretty, pretty uh, clear. And that is from about 45 to 50, that is the roughest five years in adulthood. Um, and uh, for a variety of reasons, and people get happier with each decade after that. Somebody, and you may be one of them, but they may be doing this, but just as you say that, it would be fun to think of um, this, this age continuum that I mentioned in terms of what are you going through now rather than anything to do with your age? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. You know, what, what is, what are the predominant things that you're dealing with? Right. Um, whether it's kid, you know, kid, I, we had last week at an MBA workshop here, I had an empty nester who was in her late sixties and was like, Oh my God, you're, you're in your late sixties. And there was another woman in the group who was like becoming an empty nester next year at age 40. So like they had comparable experiences right. to talk about, but they had a 28 year age difference between the two of them. So, uh, yeah, it is really, and and I think that that's becoming more and more apparent is that there's, you know, it is more about the stages of life than it is the age or generation. Right. I love that. So, Chip, you've mentioned several times MEA. Yeah. For anybody who doesn't know about that, talk about that because it's so wonderful. Thank you. Well, so what... When I moved out of my full-time role at Airbnb, I came down to Baja, in um, southern Baja Peninsula, which is part of Mexico. Um, and I decided to write a book called Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. And while I was writing that book, I had a Baja aha. I had an epiphany uh, when I was going for a run on the beach. And the epiphany was, why is it that we do not have rites of passage, rituals, schools, or tools for people in midlife? We the word adolescence didn't exist before the year 1904. And once that word got coined and we realized that adolescence was just a transitional period between childhood and adulthood, um, we gave adolescence a lot of attention, schools, tools, child labor laws, et cetera. Similarly, there's a word that hasn't gotten a lot of attention. It got, it got coined 20 years ago called middle-essence. And it is, middle-essence is when you're going through hormonal, emotional, Um, identity and physical transitions in midlife. And yet this era of life, middle essence, has gotten none of the attention that adolescence has gotten. And yet it's a period when we do need the kinds of transitional rites of passage and and schools and tools to help people. And, uh, you know, Mary Catherine Bateson, who's the daughter of Margaret Mead and Gregory Bateson, talks about the midlife atrium. And the midlife atrium is what she says is that we are living longer, and yet it's not as if we're just adding two bedrooms to the back of our house, as if we are just we're old longer. No, in fact, what we are doing is creating a the longer life is creating a midlife atrium, 
such that in midlife, we need to create the space, time, and uh, reflection opportunity to imagine how do we want to live the rest of our lives. The average age of the people who come to MEI is 54. And the average age they think they're going to live to is 90. So if you do the math, living from 18 when you become an adult to 54 is 36 years. And living from 54 to 90 is 36 years. So if you are living till age 90 and you're 54, you are exactly halfway through your adult life. And yet most of us don't think of our lives that way because we vastly underestimate how much life is ahead of us. So what we do is we help people to cultivate their wisdom, reframe their relationship with aging and their mindset uh, around that, navigate midlife transitions, and then integrate a new word into people's life called regeneration. And instead of retirement, let's talk about regeneration. And that's really what we focus on. I love that. When I first started working with Prime Spark, I was working with a coach and I explained, I run to now work with and on behalf of older women. And she said, oh, you're golden years. And I said, no, 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 it's not your golden years. Women in their 50s, 60s are in their prime. Right. Um, and she looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, really? I mean, we can assume we're going to live for 20, 30, 40 years at this point. Yep. Um, Especially women. I mean, women live seven or eight years longer than men uh, or six or seven years longer than men. And so you're, you, they, they tend to stay, women tend to stay physically more fit and in better shape than men longer. Um, and so, yeah, my parents are both 84. And uh, I'm lucky enough to have both of my parents still living. Oh. And um, my mom is, her mind is better at 84 than it was at 64 or 44 or 24. She is just still right on, which is amazing. Um, so I, you know, I do think that uh, to, to get to a place in your life when you think my best years are behind me is a sad state to be in. Now, your best years might be behind you in terms of, you know, the size of your waist, or your best years might be behind, behind you in terms of your short-term memory, but your best years may be ahead of you in so many other ways. Well, yes, and, and as you have alluded to, it is, it is a matter of redefining best years. Um, Correct. Uh, that who, who gets to say that? And I think we're starting to say, you don't get to say that. We are gonna say that, um, yeah. yeah. So, Tip, of all the things you've done, and you've done so many things, what are you most proud of? Oh, wow. Um, I'm proud of taking a 13-year-old inner city kid who is homeless and, and becoming his dad, um, a, black, a black kid who didn't, you know, had been, his parent, parents had become homeless. Um, and I've got a great grandson as a result of that. So um, I have a you know son who's forty six and I'm sixty two almost. So like you know that's that proud of that. That was hard. Um, I you know in terms of my professional life today, I yeah I'm proud of the fact that I've been a disruptor a couple times in the hospitality industry. But I'm you know I'm really proud of the fact that you know when you're in the for profit business as an entrepreneur, you're focusing on a consumer need and filling it. I really appreciate the fact that with the Modern Elder Academy, we're trying to find a societal need and fill it. So this is not about consumers. It's about what does society need? And um, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I love 
being a pioneer and having people tell me, I can't believe you're doing this. And then have them tell me a few years later, oh, that was so smart. You did that. I, of course, I knew you were, were going to be successful doing that. I was like, well, back then you didn't say I was going to be successful. You said I was an idiot. Um, so I appreciate the fact that I have been willing to try things that a lot of people wouldn't try. So I know that there are new uh, modern elder academies coming to Santa Fe. In addition yes. to that, what are dreams you have that you haven't realized yet? What's you know, I have, I have two biological sons. Um, so I have this great grandson from the foster lineage of my life. I fought for my foster son. And then I have two biological sons with a lesbian couple um, who asked me, to be the dad, um, the biological dad, uh, and the boys are 10 and seven. So what I haven't experienced yet or accomplished yet is living in the teen years of their lives. Um, and which <laughs> I may, I may regret. Um, so adolescence with Eli and Ethan, um, they're coming down here to Baja down to Mexico. Uh, they always come here during the summer with me and there's, and they come with their moms, but Soon enough, they're actually going to be coming there on their own. And um, Chip will be just hanging out with my, my, my boys. Um, and I will do that. And I look forward to being, you know, the father figure that they want me to be. I have been that in their lives, but it's been harder when they're younger. Um, but to be just me and them without their moms. And so it, we're getting to that stage. Um, I think beyond that, I'm really excited about what we're doing with our our regenerative communities. We're creating these residential communities built around regenerative farms or ranches um, that are meant to be regenerative in the experience of how it regenerates people's souls by being in a community where you know everybody in your community, you do a potluck once a week as the community and you, everybody's there to support each other and to learn from each other. And that our first one was here in Baja um, and our second one is going to be in Santa Fe. And along with the two campuses that we're going to be opening in Santa Fe. So it's understandable to me what uh, people as part of MEA are learning from the communities. What do you think the communities are learning from MEA? Well, I, yes, I think that the 2,500 alumni we now have uh, from 40 countries have certainly learned a lot from each other, including how do you, sh how do you create a growth mindset regarding your, your process of aging? Um, I think what the communities are learning from us is that uh, a powerful group of people um, who are well, has a, have a common mission, can have a huge positive effect on the community, as we have had here in Baja and as we intend to have in Santa Fe, um, as opposed to some the new thing coming along and like, oh, no, they're taking all of our resources. Well, no, we, we meant... Unfortunately, retirement communities tend to be sort of like gated communities and there's no permeability there. Um, what we really want to be is like, okay, if how is the community better as a result of us being here? And that has been, that is really sort of one of the foundational elements of what we're trying to do with MEA. That's great. So when you leave this earth, which is no time soon, what do you yeah. hope your legacy is from all the things you've done? I love Eric Erickson's um, statement, I am what survives me. So what would, what would survive me that would make me proud? I think would be the idea that we are reimagining 
what midlife is. Midlife is not a crisis, it's a chrysalis. Um, and when I say it's a chrysalis, I mean between the caterpillar and the butterfly, there's the cocoon or the chrysalis. And, and it is a time when metamorphosis is happening, transformation is going on, but not transformation on the process of just dying, but transformation from going from a caterpillar to a butterfly, such that on the other side of that chrysalis, that dark gooey uh, cocoon, is the best time of one's life. And when they, someone's flying and they're colorful. And if I can have a huge influence on helping people to see that people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and beyond are actually in the best part of their life, then I, my, my work is done. That's um, having, having gone through a couple of really dark times during tra- various transitions I've made. Um, it is, it is difficult. So for the people who are listening, it is not easy. It is not an easy time. And so um, the, the other side is fine, but going through, I was just over the weekend reading about the actual transformation of, um, in, that happens in the chrysalis when you get a butterfly. Yeah. There are no cells in the chrysalis that indicate it's a butterfly. Right. I find there's, that fascinating. There's purely something called the imaginal discs. And the imaginal discs yes. are the only thing that actually are part of the caterpillar that become part of the butterfly. So in some ways, what you can say is there's something in us as humans that takes us through this journey that actually gets us to the other side. But as you just said, Sarah, I think what's really important for people to recognize is going through any transition in midlife or any time in your life um, is hard. And it's not always, it's not easy and it requires emotional insurance. We have property and liability insurance for a rainy day, but where's our emotional insurance for the rainy day in our our emotional life? And that's why something like MEA is so essential because to be in a workshop with 20 people learning that we're all going through something and then understanding the three stages of a transition and how do you get through that chrysalis, um, the, the murky, the messy middle is an important skill for us to have uh, as humans, um, especially if we're going to live a longer life. Right. And we are. So Yes, we are. Well, this has been fun, Chip. If somebody wants to get in touch with you or find out more about MEA, what's, where would you send them? Well, they could uh, go to chipconley, dot com or modernelderacademy.com. Um, I have a daily blog, which is called Wisdom Well. And Wisdom Well is, if you're interested in it, it's free. It, it, it's to subscribers. Um, it just, you know, we send you an email each morning, a little bit of, a little bit of wisdom each morning. Um, so those are some ways to learn more about us. And, you know, I take my Wisdom Well posts and put them on LinkedIn as well. So if you just go to me, Chip Conley on LinkedIn, you will see all kinds of interesting content uh, that relates to MEA. Wisdom Well is wonderful for anyone who doesn't get it. Um, um, please figure out how to do it because it was <laughs> really worth doing so. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's our time. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Please join us again. You can find our Prime Spark podcast on every popular outlet. Find out more about Prime Spark at primesparkwomen.com.
Thank you so much to my guest, Chip Conley. And don't forget, you can find him lots of different places, but one is at modernelderacademy.com. Great information there. Thank you for being with us. Take care, spread tolerance and love. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on Prime Spark. With each episode, Sarah Hart brings you conversations that inspire, celebrate, and empower women over 55. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes about remarkable, experienced women, go to EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available at Spotify, Apple Podcast, and most other major podcast sites. The second women's revolution is here, and we hope that you use the insights you've gained here to fuel the spark that will ignite your way forward, illuminate your path, and reflect your gifts in the world. Have you ever asked yourself this question, why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers. E-Women Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help 1 million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.